Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. That collect is one of the many gems of the prayer book. Written for the first prayer book in 1549, it both represents and forms how Anglicans have approached Scripture for centuries. As Anglicans, Scripture is at the very heart of who we are and how we pray. The vast majority of our prayers are either quotations or allusions to Holy Scripture. And our worship, whether it's morning or evening prayer or a Sunday Eucharist, is saturated with Scripture. We typically read a passage from the Old Testament, New Testament, Gospels, and Psalm every Sunday. And while we value and emphasize tradition and reason, it is Scripture that serves as the foundation of our worship and theology. And this collect beautifully encapsulates and expresses this. Now, you might be wondering if all this talk about the collect is just my feeble attempt to skip over the gospel text that we heard read. <laughs> it's one of the most misunderstood and troubling of all of Jesus' parables. Sure, there are some parts of the church that have no trouble whatsoever with a master who says, you wicked and lazy slave, for to all those who have, more will be given. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But ours is not a church that embraces that sort of rhetoric. And to be honest about it, this is not the only passage of Scripture that is troubling or difficult. Too often, Christians ignore and dismiss the reality that sometimes Scripture is hard. But I am so grateful to be a part of a tradition that values that struggle instead of just promoting blind obedience. So the question before us is this. How do we read the difficult parts of Scripture? As we consider what is often called the parable of the talents, from Matthew 25, as good Anglicans, let's turn to the prayer book as our guide. Using the various parts of this week's collect, we'll work our way through this short story by Jesus. The collect opens by saying that all scripture is written for our learning, meaning that scripture was not primarily written as a historical account. Rather, it is written so that we more fully know the truth of God's grace, love, and mercy. And so if scripture is written to show us something about God, we cannot just dismiss or disregard the parts of scripture that we don't like or that challenge us because to do so is to reject a part of God. As it relates to this passage, Matthew 25 is widely regarded as an apocalyptic chapter, a chapter that tells us something about the destination and direction of creation. So we would lose a lesson about the shape of our Christian hope if we just forever forgot this passage. 
The prayer also notes that Scripture was caused to be written by our blessed Lord. In other words, Scripture is not just old, accidental writings that we still think are valuable, like the Odyssey. Rather, the Bible is an inspired text. God, the Holy Spirit, guided those who recorded, copied, and translated Scripture. And that very same Spirit is with us when we read and interpret Scripture. Now, yes, through and through, both the writing and the reading of Scripture is a human process. And given that we humans are always limited, there will always be limits to what we can express through human language and thought, especially when it comes to the divine. But that's okay, because correct interpretation is not the goal. Rather, nearness to Jesus is. It's important that we remember that Jesus, not the Bible, is the truth around which we base our lives. Jesus is the incarnate word of God, not words on a page. We do not worship or follow the Bible. Rather, we worship and follow Jesus. Now, the Bible is the primary way that we come to know who God is, particularly in the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. And so scripture is important for that reason. But the Bible is not an end unto itself. The purpose of the Bible's inspiration is to teach us the truths that we saw enfleshed in Jesus. And so as we read scripture, we pray for guidance and we pay attention to the reality that the same spirit who is behind those words on the page is the same spirit who helps us to grow closer to Jesus through scripture. So when we sit down to read, we, we might pray, come Holy Spirit, our souls inspire and help us to encounter Jesus in this text. Next, the collect has a litany of verbs. Hear, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest. The first petition is that we are able to hear scripture. As a guide for us, this means that to truly listen to scripture, we cannot be alone. To truly hear what a passage says, we have to listen in beloved community. Because of my personality, mood, situation, and experience, I will not hear this passage read in the same way that you hear it read, and vice versa. This is why when I do sermon preparation, I always read from the Jewish annotated Bible, the First Nations translation, the South Asian Bible commentary, the women's Bible commentary, and an African American Bible commentary. Because those voices are not ones that I have access to in my own brain, but I know that I need those voices to truly hear a passage of scripture. When it comes to this particular passage, Matthew 25, I was better able to hear it when I read the corresponding chapter in a book called The Gospel in Solentanami. It's a collection of the oral histories, commentaries, the oral commentaries on the gospels from a group of Nicaraguan peasants in the 1970s. When they read this parable, they do not read it as a story about hard work and shrewd business dealings. Rather, they read it as a story about economic exploitation and speculative risk-taking. Their life situation is a lot closer to the parables than my own. 
Now, obviously, in Jesus' time, there was one way for people who have a large sum of money to turn it into an even larger sum of money. Usury. That is, charging interest on loans. A practice forbidden by Scripture. They had no patents to file to make money on an invention. There was no stock market in ancient Israel to invest in. No, to take five talents and to turn them into ten would require loaning out that money at very high interest rates. Those Nicaraguan interpreters help us to hear this passage, not from the perspective of one of those who received the talents, but as one of those who have been the victims of such economic growth. To truly hear scripture, we have to listen to others. The collect then says that we read scripture, which obviously we've already done, we've read it. But the admonition is to keep reading it. Read that same passage in a different translation. Read it every day for a while. Let your mind wander and fill in some of those gaps. You might imagine the passage of scripture as a play and you are the screenwriter. Fill in those gaps that scripture does not make clear. In womanist theology, which is theology done from the intersection of being both black and female, they speak of using our sanctified imaginations. So let the Holy Spirit help you in wondering, what do these three characters look like? What was the tone of voice that the master used with them? How is it that one of these slaves knew that the master was a harsh man? A part of the way to interpret scripture, particularly difficult passages, is to read them and then read them again. And as we become more familiar with a passage, just as true when we become more familiar with another person, we are able to receive more from it. We are then to mark scripture. So yes, you have encouragement and permission to write in your Bible. By mark the scriptures, we mean that we're supposed to make notes, draw lines of connection, jot down thoughts, write down ideas for how you might apply the lesson of scripture to our lives. This is essentially how I do sermon preparation. I get out my trusty yellow legal pad and I start to write down ideas and gleanings from various articles and commentaries. And it has to be on a yellow legal pad because I'm just quirky that way. As you work through a tricky passage of scripture, or even maybe it's just a comforting passage that you want to go deeper into, you might mark down those connections. In the example of this passage, you might jot down your thoughts in response to those reflection questions that we print in the bulletin each week. Or you might think about the question, what is the most valuable asset that you have been given? And how is God calling you to be a steward of that gift. Our guiding prayer then says that we are to learn about scripture. Here we turn to the work and the ministry of scholars. We can listen to sermons, we can read commentaries. The issue is there's just an overwhelming number of resources out there. So the difficulty is in finding good and trustworthy places to go deeper in learning about scripture. In general, what I recommend to those who want to go a little bit deeper is to start with a good study Bible like the new Oxford Annotated Bible. And then if you want to go even further, there's a series of books called For Everyone. So in this case, it would be Matthew For Everyone. 
And I'm always happy to loan out anything I have in my office or make further recommendations to you. When it comes to this particular passage, it is study that helps us to see a whole range of meanings in this parable. In research, we learn that a talent, at least in this parable, is not a special skill or a gift. A talent is a unit of currency. So at its most basic level, this is a parable about money. We also learn that some have interpreted this as a parable about the importance of sharing the good news. Some read this as a parable of, about the final judgment. Others read it as a parable about economic practices. Some scholars suggest that this parable maybe was directed at a community at which Matthew was at odds, hence the harsh ending to it. Others think that maybe this is a counter parable, meaning it's not a parable about the kingdom of God, but rather the broken ways of the world. Some even read it as a political commentary about Archelaus, the son of Herod the Great who ruled over a part of Israel in the early first century. The reason why study is important though is that the Bible never means less than what it did to its original hearers. Yes, through the guidance of the Spirit, a text can transcend its meaning, but it never outgrows it. By studying the scripture, we learn from the riches of our tradition, from the beloved community that has been reading this passage across space and time. Then we are ready to inwardly digest the passage, meaning that we are ready to have it nourish us in faith. And that adverb inwardly suggests that at this point, we stop working on scripture and we allow scripture to work on us. So we start to pay attention here to our feelings. When it comes to interpretation, we so often intellectualize things. Now our intellect is not bad, but it is not the whole story. So we have to pay attention to how a passage sits with us. What emotions does it evoke? For me, the parable of the talents is unsettling. I feel uneasy with the harshness that comes at the final judgment. I worry about what sort of steward I am of the gifts that have been entrusted to me. In this metaphor, these feelings, these rumblings of the spirit are the digestive enzymes that allow us to receive nourishment from the passage. And finally, the collect tells us that the purpose of this process of reading, marking, learning, and inwardly digesting is that we might embrace and hold fast to the hope of everlasting life. It tells us something about the overall nature of scripture, namely that it points us towards that hope. As we read scripture, we read through the lens of grace and love, always with the expectation that we will encounter the abundance of eternal life. So in a nutshell, such a reading might help us to read this passage as a challenging word against those who think that they deserve what they have earned. Those who ended up with double the talents don't end up with double because of their hard work, but because they were blessed with an enormous sum of money to start with. We might read those talents as God's grace and love, which we did not earn. 
It then becomes a parable that helps us to receive with gratitude the powerful and precious gifts of God, compelling us not to keep these gifts to ourselves, but to keep them in circulation with others. And when we hoard and bury love and mercy, instead of using it and sharing it with others, well, we end up in a self-made version of hell. It's a tough word to be sure, but it's also an honest assessment of what happens when we do not walk in the way of love. Now, is that the only or correct interpretation of this parable? I can't say for certain, nor can anyone else. That's the thing about scripture. We can never claim to understand scripture as its master. Rather, we always stand under the words of scripture and ask that through those words, we be brought closer to the liberating, loving and life-giving word of God, Jesus, who bids us all to come and enter into the joy of our master.